Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Do you remember your first portfolio? Today's guest was a part of mine. I attended Trinity and worked there in my first job shortly after graduation. I still remember my first meeting with Tara. She walked in confident and prepared to talk about her Trinity story. She impressed me right away with her level of connection to close friends and her sharp memory and wit. Tara went very quickly from an annual donor to a leadership donor over the three years I worked with her. She is now on one of the college's leading boards. We've stayed in touch since, alumna to alumna, and I'm thrilled she agreed to share her personal thoughts on her philanthropy and how it changed in the light of COVID-19. This conversation is an interview, just like my other past episodes have been. It can also serve as a template to think about your donor meetings moving forward, especially virtually. If you're interested in my thoughts and takeaways from Tara's comments as a donor, keep listening after her remarks and I will share my reflections. Thank you for tuning in and for continuing to do such important work during this unprecedented time. Tara says it herself, our work is so important and cannot stop right now. Tara Lichtenfels Gans graduated from Trinity College in 1988 with a degree in political science and concentration in international politics. She spent nine years on Capitol Hill working for Congresswoman Barbara Kennelly, the Office of the Deputy Majority Whip and the House Democratic Caucus. Tara specialized in international trade and treaties, national security and defense issues, education policy, and legislative strategy. From there, Tara served as Deputy of Federal Affairs for the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, representing the research-based pharmaceutical industry before Congress and federal agencies. Tara has been an active volunteer at her alma mater, Trinity College, serving on reunion committees as a class agent and officer, a founding member of the Women's Leadership Council, chair of the Long Walk Societies, and currently a member of the Board of Fellows. She is also actively involved with several nonprofit organizations and private schools in the Washington, D.C. area. Tara lives in Potomac, Maryland. Now let's get started. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kat, for having me. I have to say first and foremost that I'm so excited for you and the introduction of your podcast series, especially to see what you can bring to others and what they share with you in terms of improving the skills that all of you have and the abilities that you all have to make us feel part of that world and engaged and committed to your institution. So thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. And the thing that's so fun is that you're now going to be part of that solution because we're going to be getting perspective from a donor through you. Let's start our conversation around what your giving was like before COVID happened and how you thought about your giving. My top giving priorities revolve around working with educational institutions and organizations that provide assistance, particularly to children in need that face issues of food insecurity or educational opportunity. I feel grateful, one, that I have the opportunity and the ability to do that. Those priorities for me are strengthened the older I get. So interesting that your feelings on that have strengthened. Can you point to any reason why that is? 
I think the reason I feel that way is having watched my own children go through their educational process and my own to some extent as well, but it's a different world today than what I had in terms of technology and the ability and the opportunities that children have to learn so much more and in different ways than I did. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities available for students today that I wouldn't have had. Not to mention, there's still a lot of children who are struggling to find educational opportunities that need it. In my ability to assist in, in financial time, talent, and treasure ways that we all talk about in philanthropy, you're only as good as what you can do for someone else. Participating in organizations that provide those opportunities is significant to not only the recipients, but it's really rewarding and fulfilling to me. I was lucky to be part of that experience for you. I remember we met, maybe it was in 2013. Mm -hmm. And I remember then when we had our, our first prospect visit, you told me how much you loved Trinity and how much you cared about it, but it wasn't yet necessarily a top giving priority. That's right. So I think we, we, when we talked that afternoon at that restaurant in downtown Washington, when you came to see me, we discussed that I had been involved with my reunion committee in my local area club, and I had been giving at an amount for a certain period of time, but I wasn't highly involved, partially because during the early stages of my professional career and motherhood and all, I found my time involved in other and more local organizations, and not so much from a giving perspective at Trinity. As I moved forward in life, I started to put priorities on the things that were meaningful. And in reflection prior to our meeting that day, I really thought a lot about what Trinity had done for me and why then it would be important to do something for Trinity. You were very instrumental in re-engaging me with Trinity, and I'm so grateful for that. Trinity should be very proud of you because it's been, you not only wrangled me back into the fold, I know Kat, but others as well. And that was really beneficial, not only for my purposes, but I hope for the schools in the long term. It was that ability to have the reflection hmm. on my experience at Trinity, not only the excellent education I received, the networking that I was allowed, and the wonderful professional relationships and lifelong friendships that became a part of that community. When we ask someone to meet with us, before we even have a meeting, they're already thinking about it. So you're, you're proving that concept that before we had even met, that prompt was already working in terms of having you think about your relationship with the institution. That's right. You talked about how getting involved helped deepen your giving. I know for some people, it's just giving. For some people, it's just volunteering. I really want both. Mm -hmm. But I was curious to hear you use the term time, talent, treasure, how you choose what places get one, two, or all three of those things. That's a great question. Over time, it has changed. Certainly, there are organizations which you give of your time or you give of your treasure, right? You make a financial contribution. I found that over time, the organizations that I aligned myself with were organizations that I believe my skills and abilities could help them in advancing their mission and where I would be able to have an interaction and engagement that allowed me to see firsthand the positive outcomes of that engagement. Yeah. Again, I think that's really so rewarding. And when you feel rewarded by your ability 
and your participation, it keeps you engaged and it keeps you committed to that program of, of action. And I think that's really significant. It's really empowering. I remember your past experiences were one of the reasons why it was so much fun to work with you as a volunteer because you had those years on the hill. It would be really interesting for you to share with us what you feel you've been able to apply from your professional experiences to volunteer fundraising. Wow, I hadn't thought about that one. (laughs) I think my years on the hill were instructive in a lot of ways. One, not only was I involved in very significant policy work and leadership work in terms of legislative accomplishment, but also in fundraising. Every member has to fundraise, and I did work for a member of Congress for a number of years who sat on very important committees. And so with an extremely high profile um, and commitment to her constituency, we were obligated to be a part of that process for her on our off time. That allowed me to understand how relationships with people are important, but also knowing why people want to give and how you can help meet those needs for their, their giving and their interests and their passions and being able to make those two meet, I think is really valuable. And I think those skills were really valuable to me during my years on the Hill and then became valuable to me afterwards. Yeah, that is a perfect fit. You already had that comfort level. Right. Now that we have a bit of an understanding of your background and a little bit of how you've come to being a very committed volunteer and donor at Trinity, mm-hmm. are there a few other places that are important to you and your husband? Organizations here in town that, I, that are local to us here in Washington, D.C. that involve children. And one is called the Christ Child Society. And it is an, a very old organization here based out of Washington that provides material, educational needs to young children and their families or their mothers. That's one organization. We also contribute to an organization that affects children with learning disabilities. That's been important to us because of friends that have children with learning disabilities. So we've been really involved in those organizations and helping to provide educational opportunities and mainstreaming schools with programs to educate those children with the rest of their siblings and then their families. So it's been a lot of labor of love to be able to work for those kinds of groups and to assist them in meeting those challenges. Some of it involves fundraising. Some of it's actual just, you know, volunteering. It's the both. It's the combination of of both helping to create libraries in schools where they didn't have significant enough libraries for their students. Those have been things that I've found really enjoyable and rewarding. It's great and also just gives us perspective on how you can have one key passion, which you've told us, which is helping students and children, but that it can translate to very different kinds of institutions and organizations. That's right. We'll get into that a little bit deeper, but I want to make a clear shift in the conversation to now talking about the time of COVID Mm -hmm. and how this has shifted your thought process on your giving, your thought process in terms of your responsibility to give back? Has everything changed for you? Is it all the same? I have so many questions. Are you rethinking your giving right now? We will assess if there needs to be changes or reshifting in the way we give based on the needs of the organizations that are particular to us. So, and I'm sure that's probably true for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, All organizations prior to COVID, let's just even say February, before it really began to spread, were in the midst of looking at their end of fiscal year pushes and solicitations. And so we all know that 
those targets and those goals are still there, many of those organizations and institutions put some of that solicitation on hold during February and March as the world was being turned upside down and people were sending their children home to school from schools or people were having to work from home or being laid off even. There was a respectful patience on those solicitations during that time. Did you appreciate that? Yes, I did. Okay. I think the realization was we knew that those asks would be coming as the COVID did not look like it was going to go away in just a matter of weeks. It was going to be months and perhaps even longer. We were certainly of the understanding that those institutions still needed those funds mm-hmm. and may, might need more funds or might need them delivered in a different way or might need different types of assistance. But we knew that those asks would be coming. And as soon as organizations and institutions, particularly that of like Trinity or my children's schools, they would be assessing their financial impacts and the implications that COVID is having on them. So we knew that those asks are coming and, and they are starting to come. And I'm sure they will be for a while. Schools will have to assess what they need between now and June 30th. But what are our projections for the next fiscal year and even beyond? I think so often we feel that we're shouldering all of that pressure and anxiety. So it's wonderful to know that our donors are thinking the same things. What messaging have you gotten that has been compelling? Because for example, you talked about a local organization that's helping with disabilities. Could that potentially be the kind of organization that might not make it through? And if so, is that more compelling for you to give a bigger gift to as opposed to a place like Trinity where you know they'll be able to brave the storm? I think the needs will have to be expressed and transparent. I think everyone's going to not want to know, particularly now, where their dollars are going and how they're actually helping and impacting these organizations. So it it may be more compelling. I think most of the organizations to which we give are always in need, and that's why we choose them at some level. I think we'll find ways to be able to be, continue to be as helpful as we can be. And I, but I do think there are going to be organizations that will have more compelling arguments than others, certainly. If you can think of an example, what is a compelling message right now? What is it that's pulling you in? I firmly believe that education is one of the most important things we can support in this world as an overarching umbrella. Our colleges and universities are the keepers of our next generation of leaders and problem solvers. We cannot diminish the quality of their education in light of things like this. I mean, I certainly never expected a pandemic like this as a young person and certainly not as a person of my age now. So what would be the next crisis this world would face? What are the ways in which we need to be preparing and solving and expecting those dilemmas to arise? And how do we solve those problems? Our higher educational institutions serve a very important and necessary function. Mm-hmm. And how do we sustain them? I really believe that as alumni in particular, we are really the caretakers of our institutions and our alma maters as stewards, if you will. And so how do we help shape their future? How do we help them address their current needs in order to sustain their long-term goals? As we emerge out of this crisis, and we will, where do we find ourselves reshaping the way in which we look at our support for our institutions. And that's going to be really important. Yes. If you were asked to join a conversation around that, would you be willing to to take part? Yes, absolutely. Have you gotten any calls from development professionals asking for meetings? 
as a member of the Board of Fellows at Trinity, to be specific, I am involved with a, a team of individuals that includes people from the development office to learn about where the college is and what it's doing to address our current situation. I know that the development office has been very respectful of its job to solicit and to generate our fundraising initiatives overall. Given where we are currently, I know that Trinity, as I mentioned earlier, like other institutions, put a hold on some of that. Certainly, we're going to be having to look forward to the end of the fiscal year in just a few weeks and know what our numbers look like and what we need to be doing to help the college. So I won't be surprised when those calls come. And I'd like to believe that development teams will be respectful in the way they approach their alumni, um, not just at Trinity, but in other organizations in order to best serve the goals that we all hope and share. Aside from the obvious, can you define for us what you mean by respectful approach? I think it needs to be thoughtful in how you approach people. I think respectfully is to be transparent. This is where your college is. This is where your university is. This is what we're facing. These are our needs. And how can you help? And how can we we address your concerns for our school going forward? When you're approaching an alumni donor base in particular, it really is a reciprocal conversation that needs to be had. The institution is important to the alumni for different reasons, right? And so I think that kind of conversation needs to be one that is an open dialogue and one that is a reciprocal conversation in order to facilitate more participation and more engaged participation. We all have to be realistic that people's financial circumstances may change. And again, we just need to be respectful of that and be willing to be patient. In my own work, as I've been calling people who maybe I've met a few times that I don't know so well, they have been willing to take phone calls and they've turned into these very personal calls talking about family, asking Mm -hmm. what shows I'm watching. And I'm thinking, we never would have had this conversation in person, probably. That's right. So it sounds like you're saying it's really, it's really important to be heard really on that human level more so than ever. That's right. I completely agree. Yeah. So how would you feel if one of the top three institutions you told us about asked you to make a new commitment, either to help make the goal, like to stretch or to make a new commitment for the next fiscal year in the face of uncertain times? I wouldn't be surprised. And consistent donors, that certainly is a safer bet and a safer target. So I I wouldn't be surprised by that. And again, I think it's going to, it would obviously depend on what it is and what it's for, but I would consider it. That's good to know because I think what we're all facing as professionals is we've had conversations and we're hoping to close the ones that were active before all of this. But we're going to reach a point where we're going to need to start talking about new commitments. And that is daunting for us to some extent because of what you mentioned with the respect. It's how do we balance doing our jobs in the purest sense while Mm -hmm. respecting our communities and our constituencies? That's right. And I think that's going to be an interesting line that we're all going to have to walk. And you as the solicitor, if you will, and us as the potential donor and the perspective, I think we also have to be respectful of the fact that you do need to make those asks. And Mm -hmm. we have to at least understand whether or not 
people will always say yes, or they even have to say no, at least be respectful of the reason why it's being done. The success of these institutions is really critical. And especially when you're talking to alumni, I think they understand that. That's really comforting to hear. The last thing I'm wondering about is, uh, remind me, is your husband involved with his alma mater? Not to the extent that I am, no. So let's just take this as a, an idea that could happen. If your mm-hmm. husband's alma mater reached out to him asking him to start a conversation, would he be more open to that than before or less than before? How would that go? That's a good question. I haven't asked Jeffrey that. <laughs> I, and I think now that my daughter's about to graduate from my alma mater, we are outranking him in the house. So <laughs> I, I think he would probably be amenable to it. I think he values the education that he had. And certainly under these circumstances, I think he would be understanding of that and receptive to it. Uh, that's all I know without conferring with my counsel. <laughs> I know that's a small sample size, but the reason I ask is because we are doing outreach to new people that we don't have relationships with. And we're all just wondering if that's a fruitful strategy or if that's something that that could work. I think it's something that can work. I know for us at Trinity, in my involvement fundraising there over many years, I find that also the ability to have peer-to-peer contact and peer-to-peer collaboration can be very helpful at certain levels anyway. Maybe not necessarily when you're asking for, you know, major or, you know, significant leadership gifts, but I do feel to a certain level that peer-to-peer influence can be very important and very impactful. When you can talk to classmates and other fellow alum, you have the ability to share with them perhaps an inside knowledge if you're engaged as I am now to share a lot of what's happening on the inside that they may not take the time to read in their college magazine that comes or the emails that arrive. They may glance at them, but they may not really be taking full stake on what's happening and don't feel as engaged because of that. And I think when you have individuals and alumni volunteers, even if they're not fundraisers, but alumni volunteers that can assist you in identifying people to reach out to or reasons in which to reach out to them, that can be very useful. Or even if it means re-engaging alumni to participate in some way in a program on campus or in networking and re-engage them and re-establish their connection to the college that way, that is the beginning of a new relationship and a new conversation that can then be had as you move forward to potentially using that time then to assess their their willingness to contribute. I think that's really valuable. I mean, it's all relationship building and it has to start from the beginning. And when you're trying to reach out to people you don't have relationships with, you have to start somewhere. And there are ways to do that. And reconnect and re-engage alumni and then recommit them to the college or the university. Perhaps peer-to-peer fundraising is more valuable than ever. I know at small schools like Trinity, it is very valuable. I Schools like Columbia, they're much larger, obviously, and you have multiple colleges within the university and you operate in a different framework. It's been very valuable to us. From what I know from friends who've attended other small NESCAC colleges, essentially, they find that it's really valuable to them. They have huge networks of alumni that engage in peer-to-peer collaboration with the development office, and that's very useful. 
it all depends on how it fits with your operational framework. Well, do you have any other tips for us fundraisers who are just turning into entrepreneurs, trying <laughs> tactics and new strategies? I think the tip has to be just maintain your authentic relationships with the people you have. Learn how those have become useful and have shown growth for you. It really is the strength of an advancement office that helps strengthen your fund. It really is about relationships. And I think that's so critical to, to the success of any advancement and development team is really how well they connect with their alumni and with their prospective donors. Place quality and value on those relationships and those people. We have a relationship and it's lasted for a long time, but I want to highlight for our listeners, I asked you a couple of somewhat tough questions and you answered me. That shows that if you have a relationship with trust, you can ask the question and the donor will tell you. That's exactly right. For someone to feel firmly committed within an institution, you need to have two things. One, an affiliation with their values and their mission. And you have to have trust in their leadership. And their leadership is not just the president of a university or the dean of a particular school that you may be giving to or a program that you may find valuable. I think it has to be within all aspects of that college. And particularly your first relationship with the school will be the alumni office and then the development office. And those two vantage points serve tremendously to the success of a college. And so you have to have trust in those people because if you don't, you're less likely to give and you're less likely to participate. And so it's really meaningful. And so the people that are placed in those positions within development teams really are critical and you have to have the right people in those jobs. You're getting me excited to get back into some new conversations now, start building some trust. <laughs> I'm sure you have it already. Thank you for your time. And I would love to end with my signature question, which is Tara, what do you know for sure? I love that question. I love you have a signature question. What I know for sure is that challenge can inspire motivation and adversity can inspire opportunity. I believe that we will come out of this. I believe there is a way to weather this storm and find ourselves on stronger ground afterwards. And I think we'll discover that we'll find ways to increase participation and more meaningful commitment from people to the causes that matter to them. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. It was great chatting with you. Wow. That was so heartwarming. If you're stuck when it comes to virtual meetings, think about how this conversation might fit you and your work with your donors. Pick some of the questions I asked that you like and leave out the ones you didn't. As you heard, Tara was open, honest, and shared that the trust that we had built made her feel comfortable answering my questions. Remember, our conversation, in fact, took place virtually. We learned from Tara that involvement is important for her to make a large commitment. She wants to be part of the solution during this time. She craves a transparent conversation. She gives compelling reasons why higher education is important to her, and I especially liked her comment about alums being the keepers of their college. Her comments about respect were important. You can outright ask your donors how they want to be communicated with during this time. As Susan Fagan said in a previous episode, and Tara proved today, 
They will tell you. Good luck with your future meetings and feel free to reach out with questions or comments. I'm happy to continue this conversation. You can be in touch with me on LinkedIn or on Instagram at devdebrief. Keep up the good work with your dev life. We got this.